Hey, welcome to Playing for Keeps, the show where we take a deep dive into emotional intelligence, sex, love, adult attachment theory, mental health, therapy, and everything in between that creates great relationships. Your host, DJ, is a certified life coach and emotional intelligence practitioner. She's here to be of service to all the listeners interested in love and relationship. Now, here's your host, DJ. Hey, everybody, it's your girl DJ with Plan for Keeps podcast. And today we have our guest of the month, Memory, your friend abroad. She is a healthcare professional, a stoic relationship strategist, a self healer's co parent, and author. She studied healthcare strategy and leadership in the UK, which included emotional intelligence and philosophy. When coaching, she applies the root cause to relationship problems. She believes self-love and virtue are important for a quality life. She also provides support and accountability partnership to self-healers, healing their inner child, emotions, breakups, relationship, and childhood trauma. She has a deep interest in childhood trauma and its impact on life and relationships. She also believes we heal in community. Today, Memory is here to speak about attachment theory, specifically the disorganized and the dismissive avoidant. How are you today, Memory? Hi, Adam. I'm good, thank you. I feel all right. I'm just um, enjoying Mother's Day today. Awesome. Yeah, I just learned a fun fact, you guys. So I'm here in the United States. Um, Mother's Day here is May 9th this year, but in the UK, it's in March. So I don't know why I thought all around the world, Mother's Day was going to be in March. So um, in May, excuse me. So when she told me it was today, I was like, wow. So I'm glad you are enjoying your day. That is awesome. Happy Thank Mother's you. Day to you and all the mothers in the UK that are listening. Um, Thank you. Most definitely. So you are here to speak um, today about the fearful slash disorganized avoidant and fearful avoidant. Um, I know that the fearful disorganized falls into the small percentage of the population. I believe they say that's 5% and then dismissive is the 20%, the 25%. Is that correct? Probably around that. Around, yeah, which, which unfortunately they say the majority is half of is. It falls in the insecure attachments anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to let you take it away with um, just what the difference are between the two and then and the traits and all of that stuff. Okay. I'll start with the avoidant attachment style. Okay. Um, basically, when we talk about attachment, we are talking about the first relationship formed in the baby's first years of their life, which has a deep impact on their well-being. So when babies have an access to a warm, responsive caregiver, they will grow up with a strong, healthy attachment to those caregivers. And when babies do not have the access to a responsive and warm caregiver, they are likely to develop an unhealthy attachment to these caregivers, and this can affect the relationships they form over the course of their lifetime. 
So um, when we talk about the avoidant, we are talking about a, in, in, in babies and children, when parents or caregivers are largely emotionally unavailable or unresponsive most of the time, and babies and children have a deep inner need to be close to their caregivers, and so they can learn to stop or suppress their outward displays of emotion if they become aware that they'll be rejected from, by their parent or the caregiver if they express themselves. So it's like an adaptation um, behavior or response to an unresponsive parent when their needs for connection and closeness are not met, children with avoidant attachment stop seeking closeness or expressing emotion. So what causes this? Some parents can, insecure parents can feel overwhelmed or anxious when confronted with a child's emotional needs. So they close themselves off emotionally. Not everyone who wants a child can look after a child. And not everyone who has a child can look after the child. Sometimes people do want a child and sometimes they end up having a child. And also there might be circumstances in their lives like uh, bad relationships where they can end up focusing too much on relationships than on the child. Right. Because a relationship is not going well a parent closes off to a child and they focus on their relationship and the child is not getting their needs met. Parents may be harsh or neglectful when a child is experiencing a period of greater need, such as when a child is scared, sick or hurt. Some parents actually can end up um, you know, beating up a child because they are coming to the parent with a need. Right. And parents who foster an ad avoidant attachment with their children often openly discourage outward display of emotion. That's just like when a child is crying, they can be beaten up or they can be ignored. Uh, or maybe when they are sad or noisy or they are really happy and the parent doesn't really want to know. And the parents have unrealistic expectations of emotional and practical independence for even young children. Right. And, and this is really coming from a place of uh, not knowing. I think many people don't realize they are doing this because they are probably parented the same way. Right. So behaviors that may foster in avoidant attachment in babies and children include a parent and caregiver who routinely refuses to acknowledge their child's cries or other shows of distress or fear. They actively suppress the child's um, display of emotion and tell, tell them to stop crying, grow up or toughen up. They can become angry and physically separate from a child when they show signs of fear of, or distress. And they can shame the child for displays of emotion and they have unrealistic emotions of um, the emotional and you know, practical independence for their child. So um, when these people grow older, the, the, the avoidant child, because they have learned to, to adapt and use this dismissive avoidant behavior, right. in adulthood, they can avoid intimacy with others 
and prefer distance. Um, they can pull away as soon as someone tries to get close. Uh, they have high self-esteem and they don't rely on others for reassurance or emotional support. They are uncomfortable with opening up to others and expressing their needs or private thoughts. They have dismissive behaviors and aloofness. They minimize emotional expressions. They have difficulties trusting and relying on others. They believe that you don't need emotional intimacy in your life. They appear strong, confident, and in control. And they also see themselves as self-sufficient and independent. These are um, the people that you hear saying that, you know, I'm independent, I don't need anyone, you know, um, and people don't need anyone. But, but it's not true because we all need people, other right. people to an extent, um, although not to the extent that an anxious person might need other people. So what can the avoidant person do to foster relationships? Um, their social interactions and their bonds are actually very superficial most of the time because they don't open up. They are not available. Um, so, you know, th there's no opportunity for intimacy because there's no depth. So in order for a relationship to be meaningful, it has to be deep. So these individuals will let you be around them, but they will not let you in. And they tend to avoid strong displays of closeness and intimacy, especially what the anxious person can display. And they can run when things get serious. And they might also find a reason to end a relationship because you see, they were abandoned in their childhood. And so they deep down, they have a fear of getting close because they fear abandonment and rejection. Remember what we talked about as babies, they, you know, they were rejected. And they might be annoyed by their partner's habit or even physical appearance. And they start drifting off in relationships, distancing themselves from their partner, and um, not needing, as we said, um, any intimacy in their lives. And this is from their upbringing. So they look confident, strong, and you know, all together, um, but that doesn't mean to say they are not suffering um, or making those around them suffer. So what they need to do is they need to learn to be vulnerable. And how do they do that? They need to learn to pay attention to emotional and physical sensations that come around intimacy, emotional intimacy. They need to learn embodiment strategies, uh, grounding techniques to get in their body. They need self-reflection to help them make sense of and analyze their existing patterns. And that's where emotional intelligence comes in. Who am I? What am I doing? I'm not building relationships here. Why am I not building solid relationships? What do I need to do to change that? And this is when they need to sit with their emotions and learn to feel 
and they need to understand, explore, understand, and express their emotional needs. I created um, um, a, a, a toolkit where I spoke about um, them being able to probably start small. What they need to do is to probably, in the early stages of a relationship, they need to communicate a conflict resolution day with a partner where they can sit down and talk about their needs or any problems in the relationship. And also they need to learn to sit down and write what their needs are and journal uh, you know, what they need to discuss with a partner. Having a conflict resolution day will put less pressure on them if a partner wants something they know we've got a day to talk about these things. And also, it will also help them to learn to express without fear because they know that it's a day when we are supposed to express things in the relationship. And um, what also they can do is to start working on building closer relationships with not only a partner, but other people and learn to be vulnerable and not fear rejection. Because the main issue here is that they are afraid of rejection. So they need to understand that people, some people will reject them and that's okay. And others will accept them and that's okay because that is life. Not everyone is going to like you and not everyone is going to not like you. So they need to be open to life, basically, because it's really flawed to imagine that things have to go well in life. That's not life. Right, that's yeah. not life. Right. Yeah. And finally, what they need to do is they need to learn to love themselves. Because when you love yourself, you look at all the facets of self-love, learn to trust others, and allow them and learn to let go of control and learn to detach from an outcome. Just have fun. I'm meeting someone, we are having a good time. If we get on well, you know, we don't know how far we are going to get, but I want a full on relationship. So I'm going to welcome them and I'm going to open up to them. And they need to minimize the love bombing in the initial stages. Oh yes. Yeah, and give little bits slowly and slowly, you know, a little at a time so that they don't then feel like, oh my God, I've given too much of myself, so I need to stop. If they are giving small amounts and assessing, that can actually be sustainable and they can build on from there and gradually increase with time and there won't be that much discomfort. And also, when they don't love bomb and something is progressing, you know, at a, at a fairly reasonable pace, it's bound to go well. And things can really um, not scare the other person or themselves. And they can actually build a relationship from that point where they stop and assess, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Okay. I've done this today. Okay, let's see how it goes next time. Put in another few drops and keep going like that. So, yeah, and also therapy might be a way to go to, um, to address this 
And then they need to be honest. If they want a relationship, you need to know what relationship you want. Be honest to the other person about the relationship you can do and be virtuous enough to match what you promised someone and what you are doing. And if you feel that things are not working, you communicate with the other person so that they know that the relationship is ended or maybe that you are not happy and you need to pause. Right. Yes. So that, I think that's probably in a nutshell what, what needs to happen to be honest and open and allowing and trusting and to let go of control and detach from an outcome. Those definitely with them. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that podcasts exist and other forms exist and people talk about attachment theory and, and um, specifically the fearful and a dismissive because maybe the fearful maybe because with fearful they want love but then at the same time they don't trust it but a dismissive they don't feel like they have a problem at all so it would be hard to even get them into therapy but to hear something to the effect of like this podcast and they can hear like the the characteristics that they may have within what you're saying maybe they'll realize hmm, maybe i do have a problem or because I know with them, like a tactic that you just said, they um, they get irritated with their partner and they start not liking certain things that they partner do. That's really a tactic that they use to detach. Yes. So they don't get close. And um, another thing that a dismissive will do when they realize, okay, love bombing isn't working or I'll love bomb somebody and then I, the relationship still doesn't work, what they end up doing a lot of them, they'll just start sleeping around with different people to feel something. And then they'll, they'll, they think they don't have a problem because like you said, they're confident, they're cool. They, overall, they have their lives under control. Yeah, I don't have a relationship, but I don't need emotional connection, but you do because you're choosing. Absolutely, there's yeah. no one who actually doesn't need to connect with other people. Uh, it might be the level of connection that you need. So this is where they need to, people need to take responsibility about the kind of relationship that they want. If you right. want a relationship, you need to know what it comprises of. And, and if you want that relationship, you have to be accountable and responsible. If you are saying, I want a relationship with somebody, know what that constitutes and be prepared to take the risk. And also right. be responsible for your behavior. And because you can't just go around, you know, um, picking people and dropping them like things. Right. It shouldn't work like that. Yes, some people might put pressure on, on you, but it's important that you step up and communicate and say, you know what, I, I feel pressured right now and I, and i'm going to take a break some people are really good like that even when they are avoidant yeah. they will communicate and say you know what i can't do this um because there's too much pressure especially when they are tied up with um with an anxious person there can be a lot of pressure there but the as an adult it's important that you own your experience and you express yourself if you can't stand there you need to get out but you need to communicate that you are leaving but then again, there's other things that someone can do. You need to learn to sit with things sometimes and communicate and say, look, hey, I really want to have a relationship with you, but can we just um, 
be on the same pace here, go at the same pace. Right. Because I feel like things are going really fast. Shall we slow down just a little bit? And if someone doesn't want to slow down, then yes, you've got the right to, you know, to, to, to exit and communicate, hey, I can't do this. You know, it's too much for me. So I'm going to have to let go. Right. You know, yeah. Because it's about taking responsibility. People have choices. People are allowed to, you know, to choose a relationship that they want. If someone is avoiding and they don't want a, a full-on relationship, a committed relationship, by all means, go for it. But choose people who are looking for same. Agree. Yeah. Don't go and look, get somebody who is looking for a committed relationship. And you know you can't do commitment and you are still going out with them only to break their heart. But that's, that's not taking responsibility. You know, yeah, that's entitlement. Right. Yeah. Right. And then that's, that's a whole nother topic of what even anxious people in a way can, can, can fall into as far as just, well, no, I won't say that about anxious people hooking up with people just to, you know, you know, this person has all of these feelings for you. And then you kind of just hold on to them for the benefit of that, you know, I know they yeah. avoidance have they felt would you say they've fallen under that that category where they'll hold on to an anxious just to feel that emotional entitlement that they are kind of that they are kind of searching for subconsciously that they'll hold on to an anxious person knowing they can't fulfill that anxious person's needs. Yeah. But the anxious the person is feeding feeding what they've been looking for like all of their lives, like that they didn't get from childhood. Yes, the thing about it is the, 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 the people with insecure attachment have maladaptive strategies to get what they want. They right. they use um yeah, they, they use unhealthy behaviors to get their needs met. So they will use their, their childhood strategies which are unhealthy. They saved them at some point, but not in adulthood. And the problem is they are continuing to use the same strategy that they used for mom and dad who are emotionally unavailable and now they are doing that with a partner and that doesn't work because a relationship, you know, with another person is reciprocal. And this is why, again, we come back to take responsibility, know the relationship you want and take responsibility for your behavior. Otherwise it's not fair to come from a place of entitlement at both, both um, attachment, insecure attachment has got a need to be in control. The, right. Their behaviors are controlling. Yes. They manipulate others to get their needs met. Because when, when, when someone is keeping someone that they know is not on the same page, that's a control tactic because they want their needs to be met. The avoidant person has got their own, um, what do you call it, um, timeline. Um, they, ex they expect to reach out when they want to, expect the other person to jump when they want the other person to jump. I want to see you today. And that's it. And the other person has to say yes. Right. And it's important that whoever is dating some a person like that creates boundaries and says no and not attach them to their goals. And if they have to go, they have to go. Sometimes people need to be taught through boundaries that there is a word called no out there and that they cannot get their own way. Absolutely. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Like we just named um, what uh, avoidant would probably do 
to kind of manipulate in a way or to get their own way. What would you say in anxious, just to piggyback just a little bit off of anxious when, um, I always ask my questions like as backwards. So forgive me, but anxious, um, when they're trying to manipulate to get oh, something that they want, what tactic would you say they would use, especially on an avoidant? Like, what would, what would you think? They overfunction. They, they overfunction over and they give to get. So they can do a lot because the avoidant is pulling away and the anxious person will get into the space to try and make things happen to try and make something happen with this person because deep down they believe that if they do a lot, you know, they can make the relationship work. If they get into that space, they can patch up that wall, you know, um, in the, in the middle and, and close the gap. Yeah. So they, yeah. I know with avoidance though, they pick up on that though. They're really good at picking up on that. And they, it, and it seems like it makes them even more angry when you try to pick up all of this stuff to try to make them do something they don't want to do. So it's like but a self-sabotaging tactic that doesn't, it, it may work a little bit, but then when they catch on, it, it, it doesn't work. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, it will be a toxic dynamic, in fact. Um, they create a mm-hmm. toxic dynamic like that. Yeah. And the problem is with, with the wanting to make anyone do something, nobody wants to be made to do anything, even a secure person. You know, you, you, you don't want to go around trying to make something happen with people. People don't like to be manipulated. Right. Yeah, people need to be trusted and allowed. And this is the best tactic to use with any, any, any attachment style. Trust others and l- allow them to step into their role. People know when they choose a relationship, they know what they are supposed to do. But sometimes you can trigger their insecure attachment because of your behavior. Right. Like in, in, in the case of an anxious and avoidant, they can trigger each other, you know, if, if they don't really check their behaviors, they can trigger each other and it can become a toxic dynamic. Whereas if they learn to do things differently, they can actually create a relationship where, stop, you know that you are anxious. So out your anxiety, it's got nothing to do with the other person, it's from mom and dad. Right. You know, sort yourself out, avoidant, Sort yourself out and trust and allow other people and step into your role, which each know that we've got roles. We've got like maybe we've got two two people here. Let's say one is a man, one is a woman. Um, maybe the man is anxious, the woman is, is avoidant. You know, the man needs to know that this woman knows what her role is and she will step into that role if she's into him. And this woman knows that this guy is anxious, but if she meets him where they're supposed to meet in the middle, you know, there won't be much of anxiety and conflict. Sometimes people do push, you know, some people are too anxious. They just want to be with you, like to be glued to you all the time. But if, if, you know, if the avoidant person creates a gap that's not too big and creates boundaries, the anxious person might just stop there and they can create a gap sometimes and then meet together and then take space again. And the dance can be done really, really well. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Yes. It's all about communication. And like you said, setting boundaries. I think 
those two things are very important. And a lot of people don't do that. Communication is just blocked. People don't want to talk anymore. Because they, because they don't know how. Um, because they remember these people were not heard when they were young. And they were, they were not taught how to communicate when they were at home. Because yeah. that's where they learn to communicate. Everyone learns their behaviors at home. And if home right. did not allow that communication, then it's they're not just going to automatically become communicators. Right. Yeah. So that is the thing. People need to start learning relationship now as they are as they have grown. And if they start communicating and learning relationship now, maybe they can teach the next generation. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we broke down um, a lot of the avoidant tendencies. So um, we're going to go ahead and dig into the disorganized. So disorganized attachment develops from a parent's inconsistency or failure to respond um, appropriately to the distress of their child or their child's feelings of fear or distress. So let's give an example of a child who's left with a new babysitter or unfamiliar caregiver. And instead of the parent soothing or providing support, the parent might yell at the child or to use fear and intimidation um, so that the child can stop crying. So, or the parent might even speak reassuringly without physical contact or a true connection. And, and that is important to children. They need a connection, you see. So it's uh, often the result of intergenerational parenting patterns, mainly. It can come from you know, the parents' parents, and um, the parents might be responding to their children in the same unhealthy ways their own parents responded to them when they were children. So what does this look like? Um, so parents might recognize disorganized attachment in their baby uh, or child if they seem constantly on the edge. The child may crave the attention of their parents or caregivers, but then frightfully respond to that attention. Parents might also note that the child responds to their presence with tears, avoidance, or fearful responses. So children with organized, disorganized um, attachment can cry um, and become upset when their parents leave and even when their parents return. Um, they can continue to cry when a parent returns and they can then run towards the parent and then leave the parent also. It's, it's like it's, <laughs> yeah, they, they are confused. It's like a confused attachment style. Yeah. Yeah, they both crave and fear their parent, you see. Yeah. And so what we are saying here is we are talking about mixed signals. And instead of the parents attending to their child's needs, they might respond by laughing at their child's fears, yelling at the child to stop crying, responding to a child's cries, then ignoring them other times. 
They can soothe the child briefly before losing patience and yelling and intimidating the child. And they can also mock a child in distress. So what happens when this person is a grown-up? They lack a coherent approach towards relationships. On one hand, they want to belong, they want to love and be loved. On the other hand, they are afraid to let anyone in. They are afraid of getting hurt by the people who are closest to them. They fear intimacy and proximity, just like the person with avoidant attachment. And the difference of disorganized adults is they really want a relationship. That's the difference with the avoidant. We're not saying the avoidant doesn't, but the, uh, the disorganized person is willing to try to be in a relationship, whereas the um, avoidant, is, it's a covert wanting of a relationship. You know, right. deep down they do, yeah, but on the surface they don't. So... These adults expect and are waiting for rejection, disappointment, and hurt to come. So they are ready for rejection. To, to them, it's inevitable. So they do not reject emotional intimacy, but they are afraid of it. So they continue to view their attachment figure or their partner as unpredictable. That's what they believe they have trouble believing that their partner will love and support them as they are. And they are waiting for, the, for, 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 for rejection and disappointment. So what signs do we have? They cannot regulate their emotions. They have a strong fear of being hurt, abandoned, rejected. They are chronically vigilant and anxious. They have low self-agency or a sense of not having an impact on the world. They don't feel like they matter. They feel ineffective and helpless in life. They have poor goal-oriented behavior, difficulties with bonding, opening up to and trusting others. They show contradictory behaviors in intimate relationships. They have this I hate you, don't leave me. I hate you, don't leave me. And alternating between clinginess and aloofness. And they exhibit characteristics and behaviors of the other two insecure attachment styles. They are dismissive and preoccupied. So the, their mindset basically um, turn into a form of self-sabotage and uh, they can end a relationship prematurely. Um, they've got this, what do we call the self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, they expect and predict that a relationship will end and their partner will reject them. So they act in such a way that a relationship will end even when there are no signs that the, you know, the, the relationship was going to, to end. They have a negative view of themselves and of others, and they are at risk of developing mental health issues and substance abuse. And also they can abuse their own children. 
So, because we, we said, I don't know if I mentioned that also, they might have been exposed to uh, physical violence. Th- these are children who might have um, been exposed to physical violence in their household or when gl- growing up. So it's not easy to live with such a person um, because, you know, they're unpredictable, really. So there's ways to heal, though. And again, we apply emotional intelligence. Self-awareness is key. People need to be, un- to be uncomfortable in order to become comfortable at some point. They need to sit with the discomfort of the truth of what they are doing. And that comes with self-reflection and a self-assessment to develop self-awareness. And you need to heal for yourself, for your relationships, and for your children, and for the world. Right. So, yes, because a, a disorganized attachment now can cause a lot of distress and confusion. And, and that's not only to, to themselves but, and to their relationships, but to everyone around them. It can harm relationships and it can lead people to lose people that they really love, including children. Um, they need to learn self-love, including self-trust and self-compassion and and to learn small amounts of trusting others also in the process because you can't do relationship without any trust and so because these people like i'm saying struggle with trust we need to really work on that area of the relationship because people don't realize that when you have trust issues and you are in a relationship, you can become abusive to your partner. Yeah, because you start questioning them and start challenging them. And there's also no, no, no peace of mind when you are constantly challenging other people and, and not trusting other people. You're going to hope from one relationship to another because of the maladaptive strategies. People need to be aware of their behaviors and to realize that their behaviors are not serving them and if a behavior is not serving you, you need to change it. If something is not, it is not serving you. Okay. Um, and if you know that you come from a, if, you know, an abusive home, all the better to step forward and seek support. For those that can afford therapy, they need to go for therapy and counseling. For those that cannot, you need to join groups that can support you to learn to love yourself, to learn emotional intelligence, to learn what we picked up in there as one of the symptoms, emotional regulation, and also to then learn empathy, trusting and allowing others, and to learn social skills. And this is only possible if you are self-aware. Healing on your own can probably be the best if you are confident because I guess it can take a while and a lot of money to actually address these insecure attachment styles. Agree. Definitely agree. I know me personally, I fall under the disorganized um, through testing and different things like that. And I know you described it at least 
for me on to a T, I know that there's everybody falls on different spectrums and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, digging into attachment theory and digging into the self-help books have helped me, but I had to come, I had to come to awareness of the things that I was doing. So um, getting a coach or therapy is also could help the process just move a little bit faster. If you're someone who, um, maybe coming into awareness, but also don't have, like you said, the confidence to really dig in and do it yourself. So, um, yeah, awesome. Thank you for digging into the disorganized. Um, again, that's going to be key for someone to hear it just in case if they're not digging into, um, not looking into the books or not looking into it on YouTube. If they run across this podcast or any other podcast who speak on, um, attachment theory, they, may realize like, hey, maybe I do need some work because I know me, I didn't feel like I needed to do any work. I felt like I was perfect because I was running. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was, I thought I was perfect, but no, I was, I really had the mentality of let me, I'm going to get this person before they get me. And sometimes I did end relationships prematurely. And when I did try to dig in all the way with this one guy and I didn't end it, he ended it with me. But it, caused me to look at myself though um so yeah thank you for that as well yeah yeah welcome yeah it's it's um it's a it's an interesting one um i think i i was actually you know in that bracket i think i'm um, looking back I was, I was very disorganized and chaotic yeah but in time you know you develop consistent trusting relationships and um i think that comes from not wanting to really reach out to romantic relationships as such because sometimes we believe that um it's only the romantic relationship that counts but we can start with the inner circle that we have we can actually learn to regulate ourselves with children you know, we learn to communicate with our children in a healthy way. We learn to communicate with our inner circle, immediate circle. And we learn to be patient and consistent in personal growth. And whoever, you know, whatever you attachment style you are, you need personal growth. And this is something that nobody taught us, you know. Right. Um, yeah, we need to be consistent with, um, with personal growth so that we are aware all the time, each step we take, we take a conscious step in life rather than just knee-jerk through life and uh, end up dating unavailable people because we are also unavailable because right. of our insecure attachment style, you know, and we are, our fears are triggered and then it's just a, a, a roller coaster of, of uh, you know, of emotions when in a relationship, you go on a, on, on a roller coaster instead of going on a, on, on a smooth ride in a normal and growth-inducing relationship. So, yes very important to avoid anxiety, to avoid depression, and uh, also to manage um, social and intimacy fears. It's important to foster and be consistently focusing in personal growth. Memory, I want to thank you for coming on just again for blessing us with your information this week on um, the avoidant attachment style. I'm sure I've learned some things. I'm sure the listeners have learned some things. Where can the audience find you? Um, we, we are on Friends Abroad Relationship School on Facebook. 
and also you know i've got the um the uh, spotify uh, what do you call it podcast um friends abroad on youtube and on twitter you know we 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 have all those platforms but i would urge people to come on facebook um i'm considering going on instagram i think we might just combine the two but facebook we've got a growing community there i think we are nearly two thousand strong women um we also have men on board um which is for men and i've also recently opened a new small community for people who want to intentionally heal their inner child so when someone buys the little um toolkit they can join the heal the inner child um the heal the inner child community yeah on facebook i think that's the only one uh, on, on facebook on that Awesome. Thank you. I will have all of those links in the show notes. Again, Memory, I want to thank you for coming on and I want to thank all of the listeners for tuning in. And until next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. If you like this podcast, please download and subscribe. If there's anything you would like to talk about in regards to relationships or would like to be a guest on the show to speak on relationships or get advice, you can always connect via social media at Playing for Keeps or email DJ at info at P, the number four, K, dating.com. Thank you for tuning in and bye for now.